somewhere between waking and sleeping. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world, and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here, and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 34 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, uh, a occasional podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com for more information or to leave us some feedback, which is always appreciated. Artwork uh, by Robin Trainer, production by Tim Wiles, and the soundtrack for this week's episode is by Benji Goodrich, and it's available from magnitude.com. And it's lovely, so do go and listen to the whole thing because we've cut it up a bit. This podcast is also available on iTunes. So, if you're ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Hitting It Out of the Park by Seymour Jacklin Ballpark figure. The words jumped onto Greg's drifting mind, like a late passenger swinging aboard as a train leaves the platform. Ballpark figure? What did it even mean? Greg saw his own ballpark figure, his shadow stretched flatly eastward in the late, long light and meeting his feet in the dirt of the pitcher's mound. That was a summer of grazed knees and sunburn, going to war with his buddies each morning with bat, ball and gloves. The wasteland at the end of the parking lot had been their field of dreams. He looked at his colleagues round the conference table. Jack, young, neat, dark, like Clark Kent, with sharp Superman eyes that always looked through and beyond you to the goal of his ambitions. Cora, with the bearing, beauty and temper of an African queen. She was like their secret weapon with clients. Like Nina Simone, she put a spell on them. Nico, the senior among them, was either sunshine or clouds, and depending on which he was on a given day, you'd notice the cheerful crow's feet in his laughing eyes, or the heaviness in his tired jowls. Today he was the cloud. Chairing the meeting was Dale, sandy-haired, sun-browned, marathon-running, as likeable as a person as he was infuriating as a boss. In spite of his physical strength, he was habitually weak and ingratiating towards top-tier management, and hopeless when it came to standing up to them where his team was concerned. What a team. Yeah, they might talk about stepping up to the plate, pitching, hitting it out of the park, dropping the ball, covering their bases, keeping their eyes on the ball, being prepared for the odd curve ball, but when was the last time any of them had hit a ball? Never mind out of the park. Greg would have swapped them all for those guys back home twenty years ago. He rubbed the top of his middle finger where he'd grown a callus from all the pitching he'd done that summer. It was as soft as a cotton bud. Dale was saying how badly they needed to land this client. 
Greg saw the client rolling helplessly in the shallows with a hook and line in his mouth while they tried to slip a net under him. Memories of that summer intruded again. The day when he'd finally taken the pike that lurked in the backwater of the creek, just down the road from where they played baseball. He'd seen it countless times, waiting in the reeds, and never been able to draw the fellow out. But on this one day, he'd used an old lure he'd found in Grandad's garage. In fact, he was just trying it out when the beast hit it out of nowhere. He'd fought it for about 15 minutes, almost sick with excitement, anticipating that at any moment his line would break or the trace get sawn through by the pike's teeth. But he landed it. As he drew it through the reeds, its fins broke the surface of the water, and its pale face came towards him out of the depths, with its huge eyes and hideous, undershot jaw. He'd let it go, with the respect of one hunter to another. All he'd ever wanted was just to look it in the eye, close enough to see if it really was as ugly as he had imagined it. Dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That was something Nico always wanted to do. He was a details man, and held them all hostage to his perfectionism. Greg made a couple of dots on the paper in front of him, then drew a couple of circles round them to make the boggling eyes of the pike. He drew the pad towards himself so the others couldn't see that he was just doodling. He tried his best to look as if he were calculating a ballpark figure. He drew the pike's head around the eyes and got it just right, like an old shoe with its sole coming away from it. He started working on the bubbles coming from its mouth, and fancied he could make a big one like a speech bubble with the pike saying, This project's dead in the water. Jack disagreed with the pike. When it comes to execution, he was saying, we were just saying in the last buzz group how we can kick-start the adoption process by leveraging the aspects of the project that are already in the pipeline. If we stay ahead of the curve by giving them a little piece of cake now, when it comes to the bake-off at Tender, we'll have them hooked already. Yeah, I mean, we could be looking at rolling this out in beta so we can hit the ground running, Cora chipped in. Rolling, pin, egg, beta, bake-off. Greg started to draw fish pie. That's a pie, with fins and a tail, swimming towards the pike. He was hungry. The plate of cookies in the middle of the table lay untouched. They may as well have been fake cookies. No one was going to eat them. It had started out as some kind of unspoken test of their metal. The first one to reach for a cookie was the loser. Every time they used this room, the cookies were there. It must have been somebody's job to put out fresh cookies but over time they became less certain and each of them suspected the cookies were stale, and that made them easier to resist. There was a girl called May, who'd knocked on the door one evening in her scout uniform, selling cookies. Greg had pretended to be looking for something in the understairs store while his mother talked to the girl, but he really wanted a glimpse of May. When she smiled, tiny dimples appeared in her cheeks, and they had a very strange effect on him. He liked it. It was a nice antidote to the pike's face that had started to haunt his dreams. It was a new and unfamiliar thrill. He still felt a bit sick in his stomach as he'd done on landing the pike, but it also felt warm in his chest, and the feeling could last for hours. May used to spend lots of time at the stables, and Greg would think of excuses to wander down that way, and he even became very interested in horses. He daydreamed about being a great jockey, now he was just a desk jockey. Where was May now, he wondered. 
probably living on a ranch somewhere with some millionaire. He added a pirate's patch and cutlass to the fish pie because Nico said something about sabre-rattling in the comms department. They had grown tired of baseball as the midday shadows lengthened into August and the dust of harvest and the drone of combine harvesters filled the air. The game degenerated into pitched running battles over the wasteland and through the woods. He couldn't remember how it had started. Maybe there was an argument over the game and that had turned into a rumble and the boys found it more fun to tear, kick and scrap in the dust rather than rattle their sabres on the baseball field. It had escalated into two factions, one guarding a dead tree by the creek and the other dominating an abandoned gas station that was definitely the more desirable base. But there were almost daily defections between the groups until the parents stepped in to put an end to it tired of all the busted lips and grazed elbows that were coming home in the evenings. Dale would be good in a scrap, if something could get his blood up. Jack would probably make a good reconnaissance scout. There's something furtive about him. I think it's fair to say our development protocol has us boxing above our weight, Dale declared. But we've a good chance of getting a dog in this fight, and I think if we can beat them to the punch, we'll be in the running. I suggest we segue to a SWOT analysis in the time we have left. He got up suddenly and moved to the whiteboard that was behind Jack while everyone swivelled in their chairs. Dale wrote, Strengths, and underlined it. Anyone? he asked. There's a critical mass of stakeholders that will back us to the hilt on this, said Jack. Everyone else nodded while Dale scribbled on the board, Stakeholder backing, critical mass, and put a tick next to it. Greg thought putting stakeholders up on street corners in the suburbs might be a good counter-vampire measure. Rather like fire-beaters you could find in forest clearings, there'd perhaps be a bin filled with sharp wooden stakes, and local citizens would always be able to get hold of a stake if they needed one to pin a vampire back into its grave. As for the critical mass, that was the amount of fuel you needed to start a nuclear reaction. Greg knew that. He and his best buddy had tried to prank his parents by putting together a fake nuclear bomb using bits of junk from his granddad's garage and then saying that they'd found it in the woods. They even copied Soviet markings from a picture book onto it in red paint. Dad was amused by their efforts and Mum thought it wasn't funny to even pretend about stuff like that. Fake, 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 thought Greg. This meeting was so fake. They weren't playing baseball or going fishing, baking cookies, sparring in a boxing ring, hunting vampires or starting a nuclear reaction, so what the hell were they doing? Fake. Phony. Mock-up. Facade. Forgery. Imitation. Bogus. Greg began to mentally list all the words he could think of for fake. Maybe there's stuff on the financial side we could put here, said Dale, turning back to the room. Greg gave me a heads up on some figures before this meeting and it sounds like more of a level playing field than we'd projected. Greg, do you want to get the rest of them up to speed with what you shared with me when we touched base earlier? Actually, said Greg, I'd be happy to. But I think it would make more sense if we did this in the context of a fake analysis. Why don't we do a fake analysis instead? Four pairs of eyes stared at him uncomprehendingly. Greg continued, thinking rapidly. Fake? Fantasies. Actualities. He stalled and looked at his pike doodle. Bummer. He wasn't feeling the case so easily and kangaroo wouldn't do. uh, Keys. You know, those unlocking factors. 
and efficiencies, he concluded. Brilliant, said Dale. Fake is the new SWAT, perfect for situations like this. We need to embed it in our approach. Thanks for reminding us, Greg. Never heard of it, said Nico. But I can't keep up with what they teach you on those courses these days, he conceded. Jack was scribbling notes and avoiding Greg's eyes. Only Cora was giving him a straight glare of disbelief. Greg, perhaps you'd like to kick us off with some fantasies, said Dale. I can do that, said Greg. Greg. 